in a series titled The Church, A Spiritual Community. We're in the seventh part of that series. Our subtitle for today's message is Creating Spiritual Community. It's uh, probably uh, safe to say that uh, to this point, we largely have really painted the picture from Scripture of the vision of what the church is supposed to be. Last week, we kind of turned the corner and began to look more specifically at but the church as it often is. And really, today, we're going we're gonna to look at how do we get from where we are to where we need to be? Because the reality is, is uh, the church is, is really painted in Scripture as this vision of a very, it's a very glorious vision of what Christ has called us to be. But in reality, we often aren't there. And so what does it take to get from here to there? And that's really what we want to examine in depth today as well. So um, if you would, join me in prayer as we approach God's Word. Heavenly Father, you have created the church by your word. It is from your word that the church has been birthed. Now, form your church through the word. Reform your church through the word. Allow these truths to open our eyes and to stir our hearts, to uh, allow the gospel to be expressed, embodied in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our text is going to be Colossians chapter 3, so if you want to turn there, please feel free to do so. You probably remember the story of Cain and Abel, the story of jealousy, hatred, strife, and murder. Two brothers, sons of Adam and Eve. Immediately after Adam and Eve are removed from the garden in chapter 3, we get to chapter 4 where we have this account of a deeply broken relationship between two brothers. The unity which God had created for us to dwell in in the garden became the anti-community. Cain's maxim sums up the anti-community mindset. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, Cain had his reasons. He would have said, hey, it's not fair. It's, it's, God accepted his offering and not my offering. I was trying. He had been hurt. Cain's curse after killing his brother is described this way. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. To which Cain responded, my punishment is more than I can bear. Ever since the fall, we're all born into this world as restless wanderers on the earth plummeting further and further into conflict or isolation. It's more than any of us can bear. We desperately need community, but we often resist it, work against it, or run from it. The story of Jesus Christ is the reversal of Cain's wandering. Rather than, than asking, am I my brother's keeper? Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, his enemies, in fact. Jesus transforms wanderers into community. When we follow him, we will be transformed into that community. So with that in mind, let's read in Colossians chapter 3 and beginning in verse number 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Those verses describe spiritual community. They're the ideal. That's what we're after. If, if that is what the church looked like to everybody walking through the doors, most people would say, sign me up. But frankly, it's not often what we look like. Now, these aren't hypothetical problems either. Someone recently wrote me about a woman, a former missionary, who had been abused by her husband. He had even admitted as much, but due to his unwillingness to change, she divorced him. The churches that she was connected with, that, that they supported him and encouraged her to submit to her husband. Her mission agency asked her to end her membership because she was divorced. She was unjustly rejected by the church, and now she won't darken the steps of a, of a door, or, or the door of a church uh, at all. Part of me can't blame her. I know she needs, though, the community that only Christ can offer in the church. So while I can't blame her on the one hand, I must encourage her to pursue that community. Why is this spiritual community so hard to find? Why is it so elusive? Why is doing church so difficult? What is necessary for us to experience the community that Christ has called us to? How do we get there? How can we be transformed into the spiritual community that we were meant to be? And by the way, the Colossians weren't all that either. I mean, we read that description. But if we back up a little bit, we'll find out that they had some things they needed to do if they were ever going to walk in that community also. They had a, a role to play. So let's examine this under three headings today. The first is going to be, we've been hidden, so we don't need to hide. We've been hidden, so we don't need to hide. The second is ways we sabotage spiritual community. And the third is ways we create spiritual community. So we've been hidden, so we don't need to hide. Ways we sabotage, ways we create spiritual community. Let's begin under that first heading. We've been hidden, so we don't need to hide. One of the greatest hindrances to relationship with one another is how we hide from one another. <clears throat> we hide our brokenness. We think we're hiding it from others, and maybe we succeed briefly, but really we're only fooling ourselves. We've hidden it from ourselves, so to speak, hoping that we won't be reminded of it. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said the following. He said, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing all evil deeds, or, and, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? <laughs> See, I think that explains our desire to hide. It's our brokenness. It's the evil that actually is in our own hearts that we want to hide from others and pretend that everything is okay. In Christ, something has been done which makes it safe to come out of hiding. In fact, in Christ, 
we have been hidden in such a way that we no longer need to hide. Let's read that in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We no longer need to hide, for we've been hidden in Christ. We no longer need to hide because we've been forgiven. Don't miss that verse 1 begins with a since then. These words introduce a, a logical result from what precedes, what came before. And the last reference, since then you have been raised with Christ, the last reference to our being raised with Christ is not in the verses immediately preceding. It goes back up to chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. The in-between verses are really parenthetical, so to speak, or at least address another aspect of it. So, chapter 3, verse 1 refers back to chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. And let's read there. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. There's being raised again, being made alive with Christ when we were dead. He, what? Forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, our, our sin, it stood against us. It condemned us. It was a charge that stood against us, and it condemned us. He has taken it away. He nailed it to the cross. Having been hidden in Christ means we no longer need to hide our sin from anyone. Not from God, and therefore not to anyone else. Not to one another. We don't need to hide. Why? Because we have been forgiven. Now that's truly the greatest news in all the world. We've been forgiven. When we were joined to Christ in his death, burial and resurrection, and by the way, that's what baptism is. If we backed up, and Paul had just got through saying, because we've, we've uh, been circumcised in the circumcision of Christ, that's referring to the cross, by the way, his death. Christ put off his flesh. When he went to the cross, hence it's called a circumcision, the putting off of the flesh. The circumcision, not of us, not of someone else, but of Christ, the cross. We've been circumcised with his circumcision. In other words, through faith in Jesus, we've died his death. Therefore, what do you do with dead people? You bury them. We've been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the working of God that raised him from the dead. We've been raised with him. But you see, when we went down and were buried with him, we went down sin and all. All of our sins with us, we went down. But guess what? When we came back out, the sin stayed in the tomb. It didn't get raised from the dead. That sin was forgiven. The debt was canceled. 
It's no longer against us. We're no longer condemned. That is forgiveness. And it's indeed the most glorious news in the world. But it has implications since then. Since that's true, there's something that should happen. As glorious as this is, we can't stop there. Now we need to change the entire orientation of our lives. Our sins may not have come out of that tomb, but our desires and our way of thinking did. Our sins didn't come out, but the stuff we seek, the way we think, still came out with us. This needs to be changed. Indeed, put to death, as we'll see in a moment. No longer. Are we to seek the stuff of this life, food, drink, clothing, status, power, but the kingdom of God and his just, righteous actions, the above stuff? We're no longer to have our minds constantly filled with thoughts about this life, but with thoughts about God and his kingdom, which means that some of us are going to need to turn our radios off, our TV off, our game systems off, in order to have time in our schedules for setting our minds on heavenly things. You see, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of them, but, you know, if you don't have any time left to set your mind on heavenly things, there's a problem. Because we're told that we must set our mind on heavenly things. I've discovered recently that if I leave the radio off in my car, except when the rays are playing, it's always a valid exception, um, if I leave it off in my car except when they're playing, that I have significantly more free space in my mind to think on things above. That whatever I might have been studying or thinking about or pondering earlier in the day, now all of a sudden there's space for that to come back to my mind and to ponder it. But you know, when somebody's blabbing over the radio about how they're going to fix the world and how their views are going to fix the world or whatever it is they're blabbing about, my mind is filled with that and not things above. And say amen or oh me. We have, to, we have to make space for this. We have to start since then, since I've been forgiven. Don't just go on living like you were. Since then, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, the below things. <clears throat> since you've been raised with Christ, this new orientation of life is a must. Everything in our lives must now be oriented toward resurrected life. We can now gladly lay down our lives because we know we will be raised with Christ. Glory awaits us. Suffering is not the end. It's now safe because we've been forgiven. We can come out of hiding. True spiritual community can only occur in a context where forgiveness is understood. Where we are accepted in our brokenness. Larry Crabb uh, wrote the following. He said, why is spiritual community so rare? I suspect, he says, it has to do with the requirement of brokenness. We'd much rather be impressively intact than broken. But only broken people share spiritual community. Amen. Think about the parable of the sheep and the goats. It's a familiar parable. And it's a parable really so transparent that it's barely a parable. Other than they call some sheep and some goats. I mean, you're pretty much there. <clears throat> Whatever we do for the least of these, Jesus says, we do for him, for Christ. Now, 
what is the common denominator of all those that are listed in as the least of these? You know, the hungry, the thirsty, the a foreigner. By the way, that, that foreigner or stranger, the, the word is xenos. It's where we get the word xenophobia, where we're afraid of all those people that aren't like us. It's a problem behind a lot of the immigration debate, by the way. But these issues, what do we do with the stranger, the, the xenos, the one that's not like us, that we're unfamiliar with, the naked? The, the, they not only don't have nice clothing, but they barely have enough to cover themselves. The weak, the diseased, those in prison. What's the common denominator of all of them? I would suggest that the common denominator is that they are all broken and can no longer hide their brokenness. Not, not at least from us. What is necessary for us to treat them as the sheep in this parable treated them and not like the goats treated them, that, that we actually give them something to drink or eat or clothe them and so forth. What is necessary for that to happen? I, I would suggest there that, that what's necessary is that we don't see ourselves as fundamentally different from them, that we're more like them than we are different from them, that we have accepted and are no longer hiding the fact that we, too, are broken. And so we don't mind associating with the broken. And by the way, if we have a hard time associating with broken people, I'm wondering how we're ever going to associate with a Christ that's crucified on a cross as a criminal. Because that's pretty broken. And that's where we must meet him. Accepting our brokenness and no longer hiding it from others can only be done consistently in a community in which forgiveness is the foundational principle for everything else. We've been forgiven, and therefore we are able and reoriented toward forgiving others. We're able to forgive and reoriented toward forgiving others because why? we've been forgiven. Accepting our brokenness and no longer hiding it from others can only be done consistently in a community in which forgiveness is the foundational principle for everything else. However, there is an old way of thinking, a way of thinking that is earthly, that is below thinking. We're well trained in this way of thinking. And we must put it to death in order to have community. We read this under our second heading, Ways That We Sabotage Spiritual Community, uh, beginning in verse number 5. So we've, we've seen we've been hidden, so we no longer need to hide. Now, ways that we sabotage, secondly, spiritual community, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in all in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also Rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. This List. These are, these are earthly things. These are the blow things that we're well trained in thinking about that we need to stop thinking about and put our minds on things above. 
The Colossians evidently had done fairly well with the first list in verse 5. But then Paul says, now you must also do this. And they apparently were still practicing the things in the second list. But these things, all of them, are the things that sabotage spiritual community. There's two different lists of vices here. The first in verse 5 is a list of shameful thoughts and actions. I'm going to call this list hidden sins of shame that die as we walk in the light. Hidden sins of shame that die as we walk in the light. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. These are behaviors and thoughts that we want to hide from each other. I don't want you to know that I have these thoughts. If I've done these behaviors, I certainly don't want anyone to know it. We hide them from each other. And they grow in that hidden environment. We hide them because we're afraid of what others might think of us if they only knew I had that thought. Because we are forgiven and hidden in Christ, we no longer have to hide our thoughts and even our behaviors. We are a community of forgiven sinners. We're a community of forgiven sinners. One of the key ways that we put things like this to death is to walk in the light about them with our spiritual community. Why? Because these things hate the light and love the darkness. And the more light we allow in, the more they shrivel up and die. This list might be summarized, this list in verse 5, as lust and greed and the sins which grow out of them. Lust and greed and the actions which grow out of them. The second list of vices in this section is found in verse 8 in the very beginning of verse 9. And it's a list of actions and attitudes which divide the church community instead of uniting it. I'm going to call this list sins of relationship which divide. Sins of relationship which divide. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying to each other. This list is effectively the opposite of the list that we're going to read in a moment in verses 12 through 14. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That builds that list in 12 through 14, builds and unites spiritual community in the church. This one destroys spiritual community in the church. So anger, rage, malice, slander, evil speech must be put off in pursuit of unity. The first list, list in verse 5, immorality, impurity, lust, greed, etc., it's also relational. In fact, it's anti-relational, for those are sins that harm our neighbor. We use our neighbor for our own good, and we are not interested in loving our neighbor for their good. We use them for our own benefit. That's what immorality is all about. Lust is all about. It's self-oriented, not other-oriented. So, so those sins bring harm to our neighbor. But this list in verses 8 and the beginning of verse 9 are more obviously relational because they're almost attacks on the other person, and often are. The, the, the second list is part of how we hide the sins of the first list. We, 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 we make, create lives that we blow up, we have anger, we have rage, so people don't even want to get close to us. They're not even going to dare ask us a hard question about our own lives because they're afraid of what they might have happen to them in your presence, the consequences of that, your rage, your anger. And as you do that, what happens, they just back off and you get to hide further and further and those sins of darkness continue to grow. 
This second list might be summarized as anger and the sinful attitudes and behaviors that grow out of that anger. We hide because we want affirmation. In fact, we, we crave affirmation. Why do we crave affirmation? Because we're broken and we know we're broken. But we want others to think we're whole. We're broken in and of ourselves, and apart from the healing grace of Christ, we're in serious trouble. And it's evidence, this craving of affirmation is evidence that we haven't incorporated the truth of the gospel into our lives. The gospel declares that we are dead and our life is hidden with Christ in God. The gospel declares that everything which stands against us and condemned us has been canceled, taken, and nailed to the cross. That's glorious news. And as we see in verse 12, since we are hidden in Christ, we are holy before and dearly loved by God. The truth is there is no greater affirmation. Yet we're still seeking lesser affirmations, but we've gotten the greatest possible affirmation there ever could be. We are accepted by God. But because we haven't incorporated this truth in how we think about ourselves, all too often we still crave affirmation. Affirmation from others who are also, guess what, forgiven sinners. Affirmation is all about how I'm perceived by others. I want others to love me, to think I'm important, to see me as successful. I want to have the pleasure which I perceive that the beautiful and the powerful of this world have. Our desire for affirmation from others instead of being satisfied with the amazing affirmation that we have from the God of heaven is idolatry. I'm afraid to fail, so I cheat. I act dishonestly. It ought not be. I'm defensive because my self-identity is found in what others think of me. And so if anything comes against me, I must annihilate it. Henry Nguyen says that there are two main enemies of the spiritual life. And it's interesting because he wasn't referring to Colossians 3, yet you'll recognize that these could be headers for the two categories we just covered. Two main enemies of the spiritual life, anger and greed. And then he says, greed and anger are the brother and sister of a false self. In other words, we're greedy and become angry because we want to maintain a false image of who we really are. Anger and greed, core aspects of these two lists we just covered, attack the very heart of spiritual community. Greed causes me to use everybody around me for my own ends. Anger causes me to attack them directly. In the 70s, psychological understanding of why people act the way they do was popularized in a book, I'm okay, you're okay. And it's old enough now, I'm not even sure you can get it at the thrift store anymore, but it, it dates me a bit because it was on the bookshelf when I grew up in our home. So, I'm okay, you're okay. The idea was that we all have to see that I'm okay and you're okay, so we, we're, we're good. We're, we're all whole people. Uh, which is better than, of course, I'm not okay, you're okay, which is a bad self-image. Or, I'm okay, you're not okay, which is kind of the, the, you know, I'm, uh, the bully, if you will. The gospel 
declares something rather different. The gospel declares that neither you nor I are okay. But we've been forgiven, so it's no longer held against us. It changes everything. There's no more pretending involved. Our old pattern of living is to hide. Instead of coming to the light, the pattern of our old way of living is to hide any or all of these behind the, the, these issues in our lives is brokenness behind, for instance, congeniality. You know, we have these congenial relationships. We keep everything surface. We talk about nice things. Peace, uh, Ken Sandy calls this peace breaking. Oh, I'm sorry, peace faking. We pretend to be in relationship, but we're really unengaged in those relationships. Or we hide in conflict. That would be what Sandy calls peace breaking. We just blow up and clear the room. Nobody feels comfortable talking to us about anything other than the weather, how our week's been, you know, very light and surfacey things. We keep people from getting too close. Others hide behind conformity. You know, that, that way we don't look like we're broken. We just act the part. We follow the rules. But we're never truthful about what's really going on on the inside. Those who hide behind conformity often condemn those who are unable to hide behind conformity. And that's hypocrisy. We, they, 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 they know what they're like, but they condemn the person who's been exposed. On the other hand, you have those who just kind of sit quietly by when others are exposed. They may not stand up for them, but they're not going to say much because they don't want to be exposed either. There are a lot of other ways we hide. But they, all of these ways move us away from spiritual community and toward unspiritual, fleshly community. It's not heavenly, it's earthly. It's not above, it's below. Sadly, all too often... This is the experience many have in the church. If this is going to change, we must recognize that what we complain about to others in, uh, in the church, that we see in the church, these complaints we have, uh, I went to this church and it's this way and it's shallow and nobody has relations. We must recognize that those are the very things that we ourselves are prone to. We're never going to have spiritual community to, until we recognize that we too are broken. It's that line that divides good and evil running right through our heart that we read about earlier. We hide because we don't feel safe. We play it safe because we don't feel safe. We keep ourselves from others because we don't feel safe. We're not, we don't relate. We, we keep them at arm's length. Why? Because we don't feel safe. If we're ever going to have spiritual community, it must be a safe community. So right along with, with putting this old way of life off, we must put on a new way of life, which creates the safety necessary for spiritual community to exist. So with that, let's look at our third point, ways we create spiritual community. And we'll begin in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now these are the above things, the things we are to set our minds on, the heavenly things. Safety in community grows out of our acceptance before God. And truly, our acceptance before God is acceptance on steroids. I mean, it's serious acceptance. Three things are declared about our standing before God once we are in Christ. Literally, put on as chosen ones of God, holy and beloved. Put on. And he's going to go on to describe what we put on. But before we put on anything, because of faith in Christ, we are chosen ones of God. That's before we've done the first thing. We are chosen ones of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, we get a hint of what it means to be a chosen one of God. There's a, a promise in Isaiah, that a prophecy about the Messiah. It says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I'll put my spirit on him and he'll bring justice to the nations. Well, now it's said about us. At the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration, a voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And now it's said about us, chosen ones of God. God sees you in Christ, his chosen ones, so now we are his chosen ones. Holy, holy. The demons would cry out, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Or when the crowds left Jesus in John 6, at the end of John 6, Jesus turns to the disciples and says, you guys want to leave too? And, and, and Peter says, we believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. The Holy One of God. God looks at us in Christ, the Holy One, and He sees us as His Holy Ones, His saints. By the way, saints, it's not dead people that live such good lives that we finally figure out that they were really saints and we, you know, canonize them. No, saints in the Bible are the people of God on earth. It's, it's those who trust in Christ. It's you and me. Dearly loved, holy, and dearly loved or beloved. The ones he loves or takes pleasure in. At his baptism in Matthew 3, we read a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. These three things, chosen ones of God, holy, dearly loved. They show that we are hidden in Christ. And when God looks at us, that's how he sees us. Spiritual community is created as we clothe ourselves in Christ. So God sees us in Christ, but now we need to clothe ourselves in Christ, and that will form or create, if you will, spiritual community. When we clothe ourselves, as described in these verses, we are clothing ourselves with Christ and His nature. And we are creating the safety that is essential for spiritual community. Listen to this again. Clothe yourselves with compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There is safety when the members of the community show compassion and kindness. There is safety when there is humility and gentleness toward others that says, I'm a sinner too. There is safety when we are patient and don't expect instant change. There is safety when we endure the offenses of others 
and bear with their folly, extending grace even when there is cause for blame. Grace instead of blame. Think of that. Grace instead of blame. That's what we got, isn't it? We got grace instead of blame. Now we extend that to others. There's safety when just as the Lord forgave us, we do likewise and forgive others. Just as our debt was canceled, nailed to the cross, so we do with the offenses of others. Yes, we nail them to the cross, but actually we, we end up nailing them to the cross that we're on. The cross we pick up to carry because when we forgive others, we die to ourselves and don't heap the pain of their sin back on them. We bear that pain just as Christ bore the pain of our sin and didn't heap it on us. There's safety in that context. And this is, to go back to last week's message out of John 13, this is how we wash one another's feet. These one another's here and all over the New Testament, we wash one another's feet as we forgive their sins. We cleanse them. As we're patient with them, as we bear with them. This is how we wash one another's feet when we're compassionate and kind and have humility and gentleness toward them. We, we pray, we're taught to pray anyway, forgive us today our sins uh, as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's three things we might note from that prayer that we're taught to pray. The first is that we need forgiveness. Pretty straight up, right? We need forgiveness. The second is that we pray for one another's forgiveness. Not only do I need forgiveness, but so do you. So I'm going to pray for your forgiveness. Not only am I not holding your sins against you, I'm going to ask God to forgive you. And the third is we pray that we will be forgiven as we forgive others. Now that's the one I don't think any of us really believe, at least not based on how we then turn out acting. Because if we really believed that, we'd be far more forgiving, wouldn't we? I mean, Christianity starts with the premise that, that Jesus had to die for my sin. Now, oftentimes people are, you'll hear the ex people talk about the fact, well, if I was the only one on the earth, Jesus would have died on the cross for me. That may or may not be true. I can't say. It's fairly hypothetical. But I can tell you something that is for sure true, that if you're the only one in the world, it would have taken Jesus dying on the cross for you to be saved. That's how sinful we were. The cross, it does speak about how much God loves me. But by the way, it also speaks about just how far gone I was. That it took that to save me. So why we would ever take offense at being told we're broken or that we're sinners or that somebody says, hey, you really did something wrong. Really? I mean, we should not be surprised. I mean, you haven't heard the half of it. Amen? Safety in community grows out of what Jesus has made us. In Colossians 1 verse 2, it tells us that Paul is writing to the saints and faithful brothers. We might literally read it, faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae. The saints and faithful brothers. Christ has made us saints, holy ones of God and brothers and sisters. He's made us brothers and sisters. That's what Christ has made us. And it starts with the forgiveness of our sins. Safety and community grows out of what Christ has made us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the following. And it's a lengthy quote, but it's worth taking time to look at. 
One is a brother or sister to another only through Jesus Christ. I'm a brother or sister to another person through what Jesus Christ has done for me and to me. He's forgiven my sins. He's done for me and to me. He's made me holy, dearly loved, chosen of God. I'm a brother or sister to another person through what Jesus Christ has done for me and to me. Others have become brothers and sisters to me through what Jesus Christ has done for them and to them. Therefore, the other who comes face to face with me earnestly and devoutedly uh, seeking community is the brother or sister who has been redeemed by Christ, absolved from sin, and called to faith and eternal life. What persons are in themselves as Christians in their inwardness and piety cannot constitute the basis of our community. Our community consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. He's forgiven our sins and he's made us brothers and sisters. We aren't a community based on what I do in my study all week long or what you do in your devotional week all week, devotional time all week long. We're brothers and sisters. We're in community based on the fact that Christ has forgiven our sins and he's made us brothers and sisters. Amen? When others have the same acceptance before us that we now have before God, we are now viewing them in Christ just as the Father views us in Christ. In this context, they'll feel safe enough to let the walls come down to reveal their brokenness. Each time we respond to their brokenness, when they come to us and they reveal their brokenness, each time we respond, we will either confirm that they are accepted or cause them to walk away thinking, I knew it, I should have never trusted them. One of the two. How are we responding? Have, have you ever felt the need to share something about your life? Some need you have, some temptation you're facing. And you're with someone. You know you need to share it. You're with somebody, maybe with a couple of few close individuals that you know in the Lord. But you didn't feel safe. And so you didn't share it. I felt that way. I've had that experience. You knew you needed the, the, the forgiveness or the grace extended from the community, but you didn't feel safe enough to risk exposing yourself to them, so you hid. We've got to overcome that. But we all got to join in the effort, amen, for that to happen. A safe community is a place where it's safe to be broken, to bring our brokenness out of hiding. I got news for you. You're not going to shock anybody because they're broken too. We might shock a few people, but <laughs> not for long because they'll realize that they're broken too. In that community, we can wash one another's feet. It's in this way that true spiritual community exists. You know, we, we read of that at the beginning in, in chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, where you have this context where we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Of course, the peace of Christ is ruling in our lives, and the, the word of Christ is, is, is dwelling in us richly, and we're uh, teaching and admonishing one another. You can't have that taking place effectively without having verses 12 through 14 where we're uh, patient and humble and gentle and forgiving and bearing with. 
Because if you don't have verses 12 through 14, we pick up the Bible and start using it. It's more like a bludgeon that we're hitting people with. You ever experienced that before? No, I've been there. I've seen it. By the way, the peace of Christ ruling in your midst, the, the peace of Christ literally umpiring your lives and decisions, it's not, a, it's not a, a verse that's about how you make decisions. You know, I need to know what I'm supposed to do. I really feel peace about this, so I'm going to do that. That's, you know, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. That's not what that verse is about. Sorry to dispel you of that notion if that's been one of your favorite ways of using it. It's not what it's about. I've, had, I've made plenty of decisions that I felt rather peaceful about that turned out to be rather wrong. Okay? Those verses are about the peace of Christ ruling and deciding between us. We're going to keep peace as far as it depends on us. We're going to lay down our lives one for another, and we're not going to hold things against one another. The peace of Christ ruling in our midst. It's about spiritual community. And when we do these things, it'll be a place. The church will be a place filled with the joy of songs before God and with one another. So in closing, just a couple of thoughts. It is in this community the spiritual community which putting on Christ makes possible, that restless wanderers find a home. Psalm 68, verse 6, tells us that God settles the lonely, the one walking the path alone into families or into a home. We become our, our brother's keeper because we are no longer competing for favor with God as Cain did with Abel. Rather, we are forgiven. We are chosen. We've been made holy. We are loved. We don't need to seek affirmation, for God has given us the ultimate affirmation in Christ. Have you received that ultimate affirmation? If not, I appeal to you to trust in Christ, to have your sins forgiven, to turn to Him. It will transform you. But then there are some here, maybe you have received it, but yet you're still hiding. Have you found a safe community in Christ where you can come out of hiding with your brokenness and receive healing? Because that's how we receive healing. Well, if not, are you still looking? Are you still looking? You, you must be looking. Because despite... All the times it may have gone wrong, we're called to it, and we must continue to pursue it, and we must recognize how the, the part that we play in creating that spiritual community. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the truth of the forgiveness of our sins, work deeply in us, growing roots that then cause us to bear the fruit of spiritual community to, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in our relationships with one another, that compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiving one another, bearing with one another, and over all these things putting on love. May that be descriptive of who we are as a community, that the peace of Christ might umpire in our midst, that the word of Christ might dwell richly in us, that we might indeed be a gospel-centered community. Through Christ Jesus our Lord we pray. Amen.